Amen, amen. Well, we're on part five of our series, Pursuing God, and this will be our last, uh, our last session on this series. I've really enjoyed it. I feel like uh, it's helped us just to sort of get plumb-lined here at the beginning of the year to set this year apart as a time where we're just going to seek the Lord and go for it. And so uh, I hope it's been that helpful for you. Um, this, this last session, we're going to look at uh, Psalm 42 and, and then I want to talk about the power of reminder, the power of memory and the power of reminder, because it's an interesting thing that the, the Lord uses throughout the scripture to call us back to himself. Um, so right here uh, in, in Roman numeral one, I make a bold statement. I say Psalm 42 is David's greatest psalm of pursuit and spiritual hunger. Now, if, if, you, if you're into the Psalms and you're into David, you know that I'm, I'm making a big statement there because David has, you know, he, he's credited with about a hundred of the Psalms and, and there's big ones that I'm, that I'm, you know, saying this one trumps. I mean, there's Psalm 119. That's a big one. I mean, it's just so good about revival and the word and and, and, and discipleship, and, and then there's, there's Psalm 63, that's a big one, you know, oh God, you are my God, early will I seek you, we, we've, we've talked about that a few, few weeks back, and, and, and well, you know, there's Psalm 23, it's kind of a best hits, that's kind of greatest hits, it's a big one, uh, but for me, so there it is, there's the, uh, the opinion piece of it, for me, Psalm 42 trumps all of them as it relates to spiritual hunger and pursuing God. And so uh, I want to just kind of work through it a little bit this morning. I'm probably going to just get through maybe the first eight verses, and, uh, and then we'll get on to the rest of the outline and, and talk about reminder. But uh, a, a little just why I feel like this psalm, uh, it's why I feel like it's the greatest one as it relates to pursuit um, it's probably because I'm crazy biased about this psalm. Um, you know, uh, when, you, when you first get saved and you first come into the church and, and you, you learn some of the songs that they're singing and, and you don't really know them, but they're putting the words up there and, 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 you, and you just start learning those choruses, uh, uh, you know, you'll find out later that when you're reading the Bible, oh, that chorus is actually a verse, Remember having that experience when you, when you first got saved, first came to church? And so uh, I remember, man, like being 18 years old and, 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 you know, had just brand new, just gotten saved, being in church, and they're singing this little song, this little, just a little, kind of a little sappy kind of sounding song about the deer panting for the water brooks. And they're singing it in uh, King James English. As the deer panteth. Nope. Nobody's pantething, but panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. And I can remember being 18 years old and just thinking, okay, I, like I'm trying to do this Christianity thing and, and, and just sitting there and like I'm trying to sing it. I'm like, what in the world are they even talking about? Panteth and longeth thing. I, mean, I don't even know what that is. And then I remember a little time later, I uh, 
I got used to that song, and I, and I used to just like that. I just liked how it sounded. I, I didn't really quite get it, but my soul longs for you like a deer. Yes, okay. I, I wasn't a very nature-y kind of guy getting into the Lord, but that, you know, okay, I'll do that. I long for you like a deer. Longs for water. I'm, in, I'm into this, so that's what it's got to be. That's what it's got to be. And then I remember reading it in the Bible going, huh, oh, it's a verse. It's a verse. It wasn't just some weird song that they wrote. Because <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, this songwriter is really weird. It's kind of a nature-y deer watcher. I don't know. And uh, come to find out, David's the songwriter. Hmm, interesting. And it's actually the Bible we're singing. Oh, okay. And then after a little time, that psalm, that song that we learned, the panteth and longeth, it, it just began to mean something to me. I just remember singing it as a young man, 22, 23 years old, just singing that to the Lord in private times of devotion. And it just, I, you know, didn't, I didn't quite fully get what was, that was about, but I remember it just feeling rich to my soul, you know? There's so many times we sing uh, verses and, and choruses, and, and, and we don't really know what they really mean, but it just, it, it just agrees with our, our soul. And this was one of them. And then I started realizing, wow, this, this is serious. When I, when I started studying this thing, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I appear before God? I was like, wow, this is an intense, intense psalm. And, and the one that kind of everybody knows, it gets on to verse seven, deep calls unto deep. The noise of your waterfalls. Oh man, there's something rich about, there's something deep about this. And I remember it becoming way more than just sort of this sort of sappy sounding psalm to this, this real deep kind of guttural call for God. And then I began to study the psalm, like really study it, get behind every single phrase and, and get it into the context and get behind every word. And, and man, this psalm, I don't know how to say it exactly right, but in so many ways, I, I feel at certain times, like what David felt. I, and, and I'm not saying I felt it exactly. I mean, I just even in a little bit, though, I felt what he's talking about there. And uh, that's when, when the word begins to specifically apply to your own life in different seasons. You're like, I think the writer and me, I think we've got something in common here. You know, there, there's a richness that, be, that the Holy Spirit will begin to strike your heart with. And so I, I just value this psalm because I, I so related to it in different seasons of my life. And, and even, uh, you know, really at some level, it's thematic for me. It's, it's a theme for how I feel quite often. So it's, it's precious to me. This psalm is precious to me. And, uh, and so I just personally, I'll just tell you this. I told Gabe beforehand, I said, if I really go for it and get really deep, I'm going to be a crying mess and puddle on the platform because this psalm is so tender for me. And I'm, I'm gonna, I, I want to actually give you richness from the word and from my own heart, but I don't want to end up in a puddle. So uh, we'll, do, we'll see what we do, you know. But it's, it's, man, this is a big one. This is a good one. This is this one that means a lot for me. So when, it's, when I said David's greatest psalm, I'm like, just put a parenthesis, for Billy. You know, that's my, one of the ones that's been the greatest for me. But let's just work through it a little bit. Let's just read the whole thing, and then we'll work through it. 
As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I, I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you so downcast? Cast down on my soul. And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar, deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? But why are you count down, cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Oh, I love it. Uh, just, you know, one of the things that just strikes me just right off the bat, uh, you, know, you know, James says the double-minded man is unstable in all, in all his ways, right? And he's asked God for wisdom without doubting because the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And, and I never, you know, you don't think of David as uh, double-minded or unstable, uh, uh, but, you know, here you can see the inner turmoil and the inner tension that David's going through, and it, gives, it, makes, it just gives me a little break, because I know so often, like, there's times I'm like, God, I need you, I want you, and then you're going to deliver me, and then I go, oh, my soul is aching, everything is going difficult, it's, it's hard, it's, it's going rough. God, where are you? You will answer. And there's this up and down. And David goes back and forth in this thing. It's a little bit of a, I call it spiritual schizophrenia. It's kind of back and forth. He goes, why are you cast down, soul? He goes, God will be the help. He'll be my help. Why are you cast down? And then he goes, oh, God, my soul is cast down. <laughs> it's back and forth. So if you've ever been in that place where your soul, uh, this term is disquieted, uh, that, that just means if, if you've ever been in that place where your soul is not at rest, your soul is restless, your soul is stirred up, and you, you don't know exactly why, it just feels like everything on the inside is just, it's just churned up, and life circumstances are they're, they're kind of, you know, caving in around you. And internally, there's tension and pain and, and even fear. And, and you go, God, I, I, I want to believe in you. I, I do, and I know you're going to deliver me. And then three seconds later, you're going, but God, everything is a wreck. 
you're no different than David. Because that's exactly what he's doing here. Let me give you the backstory on this psalm. So David, he's later in life. His children are adults. And what's happened is this. His, his son, Absalom, who's had great jealousy and some anger towards his father for, for not taking care of uh, his, his sister, the way, his father, uh, the way that uh, Absalom thought his father should, really, that was the issue. And there's a long, long story on that. But Absalom, who was very charismatic, you know, very magnetic in his personality, he sets this whole plan in motion where he begins to undermine his dad. And he talks to the, the main leaders, and he's, he's standing in the gates of the city, and he's He's saying little things here and there and undermining his dad. And he does this for some time until he begins to gain the trust and the, you know, the confidence of the main leaders until they all get together and they conspire against David and they drive David out. David's still the king, but they drive him out and Absalom assumes the throne. It's, it's treason, it's, it's treachery. And then to make matters worse, Absalom, I mean, he, he completely defames and, and uh, I mean, the, the biblical way to say it is he takes all of the, the women of David's house and he goes into them on the rooftop so all of Israel can see that he's having relations with, with all the, the women of David's house. I mean, he, he is, it's just disgusting the way this guy is parading himself. Now he's got his armies chasing his dad. And his dad is driven out from Jerusalem all the way past the Jordan River. You know, quite some ways. Let's just say it that way. And here's David in his older years. He's king, but he's on the run just like he was in his younger years. I mean, he's having a deja vu, because remember in his younger years, he had to run from Saul. Now he's having to run from his own son. And there he is. I mean, the shame of it, the, the utter shame of it bearing down on him. He's lost the throne. Jerusalem is rallying behind his son, who's basically just got wicked intentions towards his father, full of bitterness and anger. David is, he's out. And then it's there that he writes this. Just under the weight of shame, under the, the, the pain of being, being, you know, betrayed, on the run again. I mean, he's gotta be thinking, I'm too old for this. You know, it's, it's crazy. And so the way that this kind of prose goes together, it kind of gives you the picture that what David is writing is something, uh, it's for sure what he's experiencing in his heart, but the, the figurative thing that he gets into about this deer is actually something he's, he's actually watched happen. So when you get behind this psalm and you, you study it and you, you, you find out from the commentators what's going on in the language there, here's what you find out. You find out that this deer is a male deer. It's a stag. And the water brook was known, uh, it was a, a phrase used to describe the Jordan River. 
And it's, I would say, very likely that what David is watching is a deer who's run to the Jordan and he's drinking. And, and because he's out there drinking, there's several things going on. This is what you have to get. Deer don't run to open rivers and water courses to drink. The reason they don't is if they do, they're dead. So the only reason the deer is running out to the, the Jordan to drink is because he's either been hunted or there's a massive drought in the land. But if there's a massive drought, the Jordan is down and it's unlikely he's going to be able to drink. So it's very likely he's being, he's being hunted. So there's David and he sees this deer that's been on the run and he starts looking at it and there it is. And it's, you know, it's completely worked over with hunger and thirst and he, be, he just begins to associate with it. He goes, that deer's hunted, I'm hunted. And that's what's going on here. That's what's happening in this, in this psalm. So as the deer pants for the water brooks, David goes, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now this is huge because it seems like David needs deliverance. He needs, you know, supplies. He needs military might. He needs all sorts of stuff, but he's not looking for any of that. He goes, I need God. I need God right now. I need you, God. And the way that hunted deer has run until it's completely exhausted and it's thrown off all the cautions, it's run into the open water brook so he can finally get, get satiated with water. God, that's the way I am right now about you. As the deer pants, my soul pants. And that to me, oh man. <laughs> that's the answer to life. What you need is not what you think you need. What you need is God. What you need are not your needs. What you need is God. When you seek him, you'll find him. And when you find him, all these things will be added to you. Men run to and fro here and there looking to have all their needs in life met. But if they would go to the need meter, then they would find life. And that life would fill every nook and cranny of, of their own life. He says, the deer pants, my soul pants. Verse 2. He says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? That verse, it's, it's, it's so plain. But there's something he's saying there. He goes, it's like this. He's saying, I'm a man with many needs and many desires. I have so many things that, that would be helpful right now. 
but the most important thing for me is God, and I don't need just any God, I need the living God. And what happens with humanity is this, we take so many things and we make them God, and none of them satisfy. None of them take care of us. None of them ultimately meet our needs. We go after so many things that are not God. He goes, I need God. And you can almost hear the, the philosophers of the age, they go, well, what's God to you? What's your God? No, no, no. I don't need any God. I don't need a God that I've made in my own image. I don't need what society is making a God. I need the living God. I need the only one who can satisfy. See, that deer, he gets something. He gets this. Though he's being hunted, if he doesn't get water, he will die. So he, he throws caution to the wind, runs out in the open, and he drinks. He doesn't even, it's not food he needs, it's water. He's got to have water. If he doesn't get water, he dies. David says, I'm in the same spot. If I don't get you, God, I'm dead. Not just any God. Not just something to sort of scratch the itch. Not just something to sort of anesthetize the pain and the, the ache. No, no, no. I need the living God, the only God. That's what I need. I have to have God and God alone. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And that takes him to this place where he asks this question. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, the, the, the literal way that phrase reads, it's the same as in Psalm 63. He says, when will I see the face of God? When will I see the face of God? Come and appear before him. I want to see his face because that's Ultimately, what my soul is made for. It's made for face-to-face -face communion with God. When will I see his face? Do you, know, do you remember anybody that asked to see the face of God other than David? Who was it? Moses. And so there's, some, there's something about it when you just think it through. You think about Moses... And he gets to the place, so I, I mean, it's just, it's what I would say is maybe like crazy pursuit. Because he gets going after God, and he's got, I mean, incredible things happening. They just split the Red Sea. I mean, all sorts of stuff going on. And he goes, no, miracles are not enough. Seeing the, the fire and the glory hovering over us, it's not enough. I don't want to just know about you. I don't want to just see you doing things out there. I want to see your face. I want to see everything that you are. I want to take you in. I want to, I want to experience your glory, which he was asking for the face of God. God responds with, you can't see my face and live. So there was no, there was no confusion Moses said, I want to see your face because in your countenance is your glory and that's all that you are. It's everything that you are. There's just something about this. It's almost like the, the hall of fame of, of hunger for God. It's like once you get there, 
you ask the, the craziest question. When will I see you face to face? When will I see you face to face? I remember when I was um, training to, to come back to Atlanta to, to, um, to plant the house of prayer here. And one of the brothers there, he, he, uh, he pulled me to the side and he said, hey, I want to talk to you for a minute. I said, yeah. And he said, uh, he goes, I, I feel like the Lord wants me to just, just challenge you in an area. And I've shared this story before, but it's just so pertinent. He said, uh, he goes, I want to ask you something. I said, yeah. He goes, if you could get anything from God, if, if, if you could have God do anything for you, what would it be? He said, if you had a platter of all sorts of kingdom things, what would it be? And I didn't even blink. I said, raise the dead. I'd want to raise the dead. He goes, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the difference between you and I. I go, well, what's better than raising the dead? He goes, seeing Jesus. I think this computer is doing that. I'm just going to turn it off. Yep, 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 for sure. It's happening right here. I'm getting text messages. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, good night. He says, seeing the face of Jesus. He goes, that's the difference between you and I. He goes, I, I don't want to experience power. I want to see him face to face. And as soon as he said it, man, I was just, I was busted. I was convicted. I was like, right, right, right. Seeing Jesus, right. It's better than anything else. Duh. But it located me. Because, you know, you get to that place and you think you want God. But really, you just want his stuff. You, you want to raise people from the dead or you want to have the crazy testimony or you want to, and, and man, the thing, it just nailed me. But I just realized when you look at the scripture and you look at like the, the, the main ones that were, that are, you know, going after God, Moses and, and David and, and Paul and, and so many others, you know, the prophets, you know, Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and Jeremiah, they, they all get to this place where their heart is just breaking. They're breaking with desire, and it's not desire to do more kingdom stuff. It's not desire to see cool things happen. It's desire for God. I want God. And it really, it boils down to coming to grips with what are you made for? What are you woven together for? And I'll tell you, I'll help you. I mean, the mystery of why you're here is you're made for God. And that's what we've been talking about these five weeks. You're made for God. He made you for himself. No matter what, no matter what you find in life, no matter what you try to fill the longings and desires in your own soul with, no matter what it is that you give your time and your attention and even your affection to, if it's not God, it will ultimately leave you unsatisfied. And here's David in the press of life. Everything is bad. It's all bad. 
And he says, I want to see your face. That's what I need right now. I need to see you. Guys, I'll just tell you something. When you're in the midst of just a complete messed up situation, when everything is messed up, and you make your list of the three things you need or the 10 things you need, I'll tell you, probably those 10 may help a little, but they won't satisfy, and they're not the ultimate fix. The ultimate fix is God. In the middle of the crisis, go after God. In the middle of the, the challenge, in the middle of the stress, the pain, the anguish, the shame, in the middle of all of it, when everything is burning down around you like Job, get on your knees and worship God. And go after his face when your house is on fire burning to the ground behind you. A picture in Job, it blows my mind. After everything gets struck by Satan, everything gets destroyed, Job gets on his knees and face down, he worships God. I need the living God. When will I see the face of God? Look at the state that David is in, verse three. He goes, my tears have been my food day and night. So I'm crying myself to sleep. I mean, it's, what, a, what a cool poetic line. My tears have been my food, but it's, it's when the tears run down your face and hit your lips. You know when you have one of those kind of cries? Your face is all messed up and the tears are just streaming and, I mean, you're, you're just a wreck. He goes, I'm a wreck. My tears have been my food day and night. Look, while they continually say to me, where is your God? Oh. That's it, isn't it? When the house is burning down, Job's friends always seem to show up. <laughs> when everything's blowing up. Where's God, man? Thought you were a Christian. Thought God was like, you know, supposed to help you. Or... or uh, <laughs> The best is when the believers show up. So, are you in sin? Because, you know, for this to all be going wrong, you might have something really bad in your closet. You should confess. You should come clean. Tell us, what'd you do? Clearly, God's striking you. Where's God for you, man? Where is he? Now, David just gets to the heart of the issue. He's on the run. Everything's messed up. Everything's bad. And he's literally got, he's got critics. He's got people that are, they're, they're assailing him. Maybe even guys in his own camp because he's got a handful of folks with him. Where's God, David? Whoa. Haven't you been serving God? Aren't you the man after God's own heart? Didn't, didn't you get anointed? Didn't Samuel pour his oil over you? Like, come on, where is it? Where is it? Where's the deliverance? Where's God? Where's your God? Have you ever felt like that? You're in that place and you just, you need God to break through. And he, it's like, you're like, I need it. I need you to move by tonight. And the night comes and goes. 
You ever prayed those prayers? Where are you? Come on. You get to a place where you just start saying, well, if you just... (laughs) First, let's see, you go through those stages, you know. Denial. Surely you're not leaving me alone. Then you get anger. Where are you? (laughs) And then at some point later, you sort of resolve it. You just go, well... If you just want me to die, and that'll bless you, I'm in. I'll die. I'll die. Because they're all asking me where you're at, and I don't know. I don't know where you're at. Can you do so? Could you, come on, would you please do something? And he says, when I remember these things, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. Now, verse four, in the past, I've looked at it and I've thought, he's talking about the things that he mentions at the beginning. I'm dying, I need God, my soul is dying for God, like a deer who's panting for the water brooks. I'm dying, I wanna see the face of God, they're mocking you, God, they're mocking me. And when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. But, but if you read it, you'll see that he's gonna tell you what he remembers in the next sentence. He goes, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I used to go with the multitude. I, I went with them to the house of God with joy and, and praise. and We were keeping festivals. There's something about remembering. This is the thing that just as I was approaching the psalm this week, it was just so sticking out to me. When I remember these things, when I remember what it used to be like with me and God, here's the thing that's interesting. He goes, I pour out my soul. I pour out my soul. There's a place that reminder brings you to that in in this place of just complete destruction, that when you remember who he is and you remember what it was like, you remember those days of, of closeness and intimacy, those days of rejoicing, those days when God was showing you the strength of his right arm and he was being powerful on your behalf. When you remember those times, it triggers something. And it doesn't trigger giving up. It triggers pouring out your soul. And there's something about our relationship with God. There's something about the interactions of faith that God loves the soul that looks to him and him alone. There's just something about that. He, he is in a, in a, in, with a laser focus intent on, 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 on having our heart. And he wants us so specifically and so narrowly and, and, and so he goes, I want you to want me. And he, and he just brings us down to this place where all you've got is pursuit. Because when I remember what it used to be like, I remember those days of joy. I remember those days where he moved in power. My soul, I pour it out. 
I pour out everything that's on the inside of me. I, I teach a little class uh, uh, for our, our new staff, and it's just a, it's a class that helps us get aligned with just our history and our, our culture, and just, it just helps new staff get acclimated. And uh, I just taught it this past, this past week for the first time for this new group. And, and I, I always start, and I tell, I tell a few things. I say, I tell my own personal testimony, how I got saved, and then I tell how God dealt with me to get me to do the house of prayer. And then I tell the 15 kind of big things that God did Prophetic history stuff, just the, the times when it was, you, you can't fake it. You can't make that up. That was God. There's no way around it. God did this crazy thing, and he, he made it clear that he was moving, and he, and he was moving in, in our, our community's life. He was moving in my life, and I, t- and I tell those 15, one after another, after another, after another. Some of them is just sweet, cool stuff, like the night that we had a, a couple give us several acres of land to, to start the house of prayer. They said, we want to give you two and a half acres of land. We're just going to give it to you. It's like a quarter of a million dollars. Go, yeah, I'm just going to, they just go, yeah, we're just going to give it to you. I praise the Lord. And I was like, maybe God's doing something with me. Maybe this is going to be a house of prayer. Maybe it's not. Hopefully he's going to birth this thing. I don't know. And, they, and I meet with this couple. We're going to give this to you. And they go, let me go get the, let me go get the, this is so funny. Go, let me go get the uh, folder. And they go get the folder. And they bring back the folder. They go, yeah, yeah, you can have it. And I'm like, man, praise God, thank you. And in my mind, I'm thinking, God's doing it. He's birthing this thing. This is awesome. And my wife is nine months pregnant with my youngest son. And the first thing out of her mouth after they say, we're going to give this to you. And I go, thank you so much. She goes, um, I'm in labor. And boom, we're having a baby. <laughs> having a baby on the night that, the, that they gave us the land. It was just, just a sweet little kiss from the Lord. You know, like he's, I am birthing something more than what you think. Just so many little times like that when God spoke impossibly. You just read over the list and And I find this, that when I read them, I go, wow, you've been there all along. You've been pointing the way all along. And I've been so weak so often. I just go, you look like a trumpet there, but I didn't hear you at all in here. And now I'm just, when I'm in that place, in that valley, man, you just go, whoa, what am I doing? Have I lost my mind? And it's so easy to doubt what you heard on the mountain in the valley, isn't it? But when I remember those things, when I bring them back to, re- to remembrance, spoke, and I remember when he did impossible things, and I go, you're going to do it again. It, it gives me courage to believe you're going to do it again, and it causes my heart to pursue. And moments where God met you, he met you, and you knew it was God. You knew it was God. And it may not be in the zone of crazy like some of the stuff he's done with me, but it doesn't have to be that. It just has to be that has to be where you knew God was speaking to you. You knew he met you. You knew it. Name. He was drawing close to you. I had one of our, our uh, ladies in the community just come up to me this past week. She's coming to the prayer room and she stopped me in the, in the lobby and she said tears in her eyes and she said, his hand is on me. His hand is on me. I feel his hand on me. See, you always, you, you, you've all had those moments where you just knew it was God. 
And sometimes it's hard to see those when you're in the valley. But David's point is this, when you're dying, when you have to live, when you need God's refreshing to live, remember, he didn't change. It's a very short period of time, your life. Your life is a very short period of time. My life, very short period of time. He says it's, it's a vapor that appears for a moment and then it's gone. 70 years is nothing. How did he move on you? How did he move on you? Because he's not giving up. The deepest pit of a valley. He goes, I remember what it was like when we would go and worship God together. I remember when I, I would go with the believers, we'd go in the house of God. We'd worship the Lord. I remember keeping the festivals. It was a time of joy and praise. And then he speaks to himself, verse 5. Sometimes you got to talk to yourself. I know that sounds a little weird, but some too. You got to look at yourself in the mirror, and you got to look at your chest, and you got to say, Why are you downcast? Why are you disquieted? And then you just have to tell yourself, Hope in God. Expect God to do something. Some of you just have to tell him. Tell yourself, expect God to do something. Hope in God. And he, and he goes on, he says, for I will praise him for the help of his countenance. His face is gonna help my face, is what he's saying. His face is gonna help my face. His glory, his power, his life is gonna help me. He will. And then verse six, it's not always this riding on within me. Wait, I will remember you. <laughs> and he goes on. But verse seven, that's the, man, that's the, verse seven's the one where it's, it's real talk time. There's deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. Two different statements. There's deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. He says this, there's a deep part of me that's crying out for the deep part of you. The noise of your waterfalls. He goes, I think about the refreshings of God. I think about the waterfalls. I think about when you, you know, like the deer that's thirsting, just coming under a waterfall of your presence. There's a deep thing in me that's crying out of the deep part of you. That deep cries unto deep. The, the, the language is the depths of the ocean cry to the depths of the ocean. The depths of the ocean of me cries to the depths of the ocean of you. When, when I even hear whispers of your waterfalls. But the second phrase, all your waves is this. You're the one. You're the one that's brought me to this place of brokenness. It's your waves and your billows that have crushed me. Because I want you from the deepest part of who I am, but I'm coming to grips with this, that your sovereign hand has always led me, you will continue to lead me, and you've even led me into this. It's your billows and your waves. It's the, the, the picture is someone who's lost at sea and is just getting covered with waves. And that's, that's the hardest thing. Coming to grips with the fact that even in the valley, even in the difficulty, even in the pain of longing, even in the press, ah, you were leading me. You were leading me. You brought me into this place so that I would cry out for you and you alone. 
I go, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. In verse 8, it says, the Lord will command his loving kindness. He will. I believe it. I command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. He will answer. He will pour out his loving kindness on me. Oh, I love this song. It's a psalm that touches us in the deepest part. It touches us in our most difficult season. It reminds us of our best season, and then it calls us out. And it's one of those psalms where you can just relate to the issues that are going on there, and you go, I've been there. I must remember you. And that's the word I would say to you is, you got to remember God. When everything's crashing and burning, you got to remember God. You got to remember what you know. I, I remember when I first got saved, I, got, I, was, I was led to the Lord by uh, the, the in-school suspension teacher at my high school. It's a long story, but I, that's how I got saved. And uh, I was probably the easiest guy he'd ever led to the Lord. I walked into his office and I said, I think I'm going to hell and I think the devil's trying to kill me. What do I need to do? He goes, you need to give your life to Jesus. I go, I'm in. I mean, it's that fast. He goes, pray this prayer. Done. So he was this very um, slight, small man. He was about five foot three, 125 pounds, but he was mighty. He was a mighty man of God. My, my, my friends that were all into drugs and alcohol, all this mess and, and a cult and all this, they were just reckless friends. They wouldn't even walk down the same hallway as him because he just had glory coming off of him. He's powerful. And uh, I remember he used to look at me and he'd say, he'd say, we don't go by what we feel, we go by what we know. And he'd say it over, we don't go by what we feel, we go by what we know. We don't go by what we feel, we go by what we know. Your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings will lie to you. We don't go by what we feel, we go by what we know. He was saying you walk by faith and not by sight. Life will encroach on you and you feel so many things. Man, it's in those moments you gotta remember God. You gotta remember what God has done. So let's talk about the power of reminder and we'll just kind of wrap up with this last couple points. I just wanna just put this in front of you as we're, as we're ending up this series about pursuit. It's a critical thought. It's the power of reminder. There's something so unusual, so powerful and unique about the human capacity to remember. That's just, when you think about memories and how they work. It's really, really unusual how God made that a part of our makeup. You know, it's not only that we're able to recall events, but the emotions that we experience around those events, oftentimes when we recall the event, the emotions are just as real. It's not interesting how that works. Somehow your memory is connected deeply to your soul because you feel, often you feel what you felt when you actually were going through whatever it was, for good and for bad. There's things you can think of, you know, a birth of a, of a child, a, a wedding, a, you know, some, some kind of wonderful event, and you think about that event, and boom, there's like light on your soul. You just feel good. It's wild how that works. And then there's times when just... You know, dis disaster has struck, you know, t times of death and, 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 and negative things happen. And, and you, when you remember those, they'll just put you in a funk. 
And, and that's why Paul cautions us. He goes, whatever's good and lovely, good report, if there's any virtue or anything that's praiseworthy, you think on these things because there's some sort of lifting of the soul when you think of the beautiful things. And so the thing about it is God uses our memory in order to stir up spiritual desire, to bring us back to a place of passionate pursuit. What I say there and see is this, that throughout the Bible, there's a continual call to remember the works of the Lord and his truth as a means to strengthen the faint heart and urge us on to pursuit. Here's some biblical examples. Peter, he says this, 2 Peter 3, says, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your minds by way of reminder. Peter wrote two epistles, and in both of them, his goal was to remind the saints of the gospel, of the promises of God, of the sure deliverance of the saints through trial and tribulation. He was reminding them continually, and there's something about being stirred up in your soul by way of reminder. He goes, that's what I've been actually doing. He goes, that you would be mindful of the words which are spoken by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord. He goes on. He says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. Look at verse 15. He goes, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder after my decease. It was so important for the apostle Peter to make sure that the saints weren't losing the understanding of the gospel, weren't losing the understanding of what it looked like to walk by faith, to stand through suffering. That he said, after I die, I'm gonna make sure someone else is here to remind you. Beloved, reminder is incredibly important. It's critical that you think back on the things that God has done. That's why you have to journal. People love to journal to process. They love to journal to sort of get their soul out there, just sort of write it out. And some people are really good at that. I'm, I'm horrible at journaling. I'm like not a journaler. I'm like, all right, you know, New Year's, I'm the New Year's resolution journal guy. Kind of journal every day this year. I'm like, day three, I'm like, oh crud, I forgot the first two days. <laughs> what happened on Monday? Like, <laughs> like you try to go back. Then you get like a week later, you're like 10 days. You've like got two journals. Like the first one's really good. And then you've got like nine days of what happened. That's me. Some of you are way better than that. I, I, I'm not. But the times when God has met me, the impossible times, when God did something supernatural, something just, you, 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 can't, you can't fake it, I always record those. Because I will forget them. I forget them so fast. And I have... I don't know. I have pages and pages of times that explain in detail when God has met me. And, and just, I, and, and once I begin to read the details, all right, that happened. Oh, and that happened. Oh, right, right, that's how it happened. Right. And I read, you know, just different times people prophesied something to me. 
that, that it impacted me. And then, then I have the journal where the prophecy and then what actually ha- came to pass and it actually happened. I go, right, he said he was gonna do this and he did it. Like when he said, he told me I was gonna go to China. I mean, I, just, I out of the random, Alan Hood prophesies to me. I'm going, you're gonna go to, I see you in China. It's like 2008. I was like, I'm not going to China, dude. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep a little house of prayer going. Like, I'm definitely not going to go to China. That's not happening. And it's four years later, three years later, and I get a phone call out of the blue. Friend of a friend. He goes, hey, you know a guy named Brother Yun? I'm like, yeah. Heavenly man? Yeah. He goes, he, uh, he wants to speak in Atlanta, and he's got a venue that fell through, and they're wanting to know if, if, uh, if, they'll, if you guys could host him. I'm like, man, you know what? Let me pray about that. God, yes, yes, we will do that. When? We get him here and told the story before, it's just packed out crazy. But at the end of the meeting, afterwards in the back room, he looks me in the eye and he says, you have to come to China. I was like, like he's an exile from China. I don't know how he's inviting me to China. He's an exile. You have to come to China and share the vision of the house of prayer. And I, you know, at that point, when you get a man of that magnitude and authority in the kingdom, he tells you, you have to do something. You just go, yes, sir. So I didn't know how, when, or what. I was going to China. And within a year, we were there. Been there four times since. I, it's just, I, he did it. So many times God did stuff like that. I remember. I remember. Look at what David said. There's, there it is, Psalm 42. He goes, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul. That's what we want. We want the, the memory in God that causes our hearts to be poured out. That's what we're going for. Pursuit. Remember where you came from. Look at Asaph. I love this one. I pray this one. We pray this in the house of prayer often on the, on the mic. He said, I said, this is my anguish. Because Psalm 77 is very much like Psalm 42 in the parts where David is saying, where are you, God? And Psalm 77 is very much like that. He's like, where are you, God? Where are you, God? Our enemies are pursuing us. Why won't you answer us? And he goes, this is my anguish, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. That means this. The right hand is the power. He goes, I will remember the years when God moved in power and it was undeniable. I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. You got to catch this. This is so powerful. Let me give you a, a, a recent history example of the power of reminder. It's 1995. It's Father's Day. It's Pensacola, Florida. Some of you know where I'm going with this. And the pastor of this Assemblies of God church uh, called Brownsville Assembly is in depression because his mother has just died. So he asks a guest evangelist to do the Father's Day message. John Kilpatrick's the pastor and he can't can't even function. He's just beside himself. He's lost his mom. He's brokenhearted. So he gets a friend of his who he's heard is having some some special touches of the Lord. And the guy gets up and he preaches Psalm 77, 10 and 11. 
I will remember the wonders of the Lord. And he, all he does is he gets up and tells stories of when God had moved in power. Story after story after story of when God had moved in power. Well, that day, a revival sparks in their church that sees over 2 million visitors in the next five years. And over a quarter of a million people get born again in that church. And fire falls on that church. It started with, I will remember the wonders of the Lord. There's something about the, the way the Lord uses reminder. If you read the, the Old Testament narrative, you'll see it all over and over and over. He'll say, don't forget the Lord when, you, when he's prospering you. Don't forget and then it will talk about how the people of God, when they're, when they're in sin and they're debauchery, they'll give the little explanation of what happened. It says, they forgot the Lord. And then you can see it like through Jeremiah in chapter two, the Lord goes, but I remember you. I remember you in the days of your youth when you went after me. He goes, I remember. Which that one gets me. Because though people may forget, God doesn't forget. He is perfect recall of every time he's spoken to you. He's perfect recall of every time he's moved in your life. Perfect, he is perfect memory of all the tender things he said to you, and yes, all the tender things you've said to him. You know what? When I see a prodigal, I, I always kind of just, huh, interesting. Especially if it's one I knew. Because if I knew them to be on fire for God and crying out for God and asking God to move in their life, and then they backslid. And, and, you know, people go, oh, man, they're backslid. I don't know what's going to happen. I go, I know what's going to happen. Well, what do you mean? Well, God's going to answer the prayers that they prayed in the tenderness when they first went after him. He isn't forgotten. He's not forgotten. He says, I remember you. I remember what you were like. I'm about to knock that over. I remember what you, how you came after me. The prodigal son. Look at that. Luke 15, the phrase is, he came to himself. You know what coming to himself was? He remembered what it was like to be in the father's house. He remembered what it was like to have relationship with his family. He remembered what it was like to have tenderness and, and to, have, to be cared for and to be provided for. He came to himself. It's the, it's the key moment of the prodigal story when he came to himself. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? I perish with hunger. And he gets up and he runs to his father's house. He says, father. And he's got this whole spiel, right? He's gonna tell him, look, I'll, I'll be a slave in your home. I'll be a servant. You don't have to treat me. He's gonna say all this stuff before he can ever say anything. The father wraps his arms around him. My son was lost and now he's found. He's back. He remembered. The son remembered. Last one, 1 Timothy 1, verse 18. It says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you, you may wage the good warfare. He, he, he says, son, I want you to remember who you are. Remember what was spoken over you. Remember what God has said about you. Remember where you're going. He goes, and use 
those prophecies and the, the, remem- the memory of them. Use them to fight your way forward. Listen, listen. When you don't know which way to go forward, when it's dark, you can't see, you're in the depths of the valley, Psalm 42, depths. Remember where you were and then you'll know where to go. So often people get paralyzed by sin and and, and paralyzed by disillusionment and paralyzed by broken dreams and desires. I don't know how to even get out of it. I don't know how to get out of it. I know, I know how to get you out of it. Go after God. Go after God. Remember who he is. Go after him. And man, he will see you through. Wage warfare by the things he's done and said in your life before. Man, I want to live all my days in pursuit of God. This is such helpful, so many helpful thoughts on how we just continue to go after God, even through pain and trial and disillusionment and and just challenges. Oh, I want to live that life that like David right there and just in the, I mean, the midst of just everything and destruction. Something stirs up inside of me as the deer pants, my soul longs. And I want to pour out my soul to you, Lord. Amen.